This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Welcome to Episode 5 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose. This is Book 1, Part 5 of our current book, which is the novelization of the 1989 Batman, written by Craig Shaw Gardner. Today we're discussing Chapters 11 and 12. Chapter 11, Scene 1. Everything was perfect until that noise, the Joker thought. He looked up. Something had come through the skylight. That same dark something that was dropping to the floor. No, the Joker corrected himself. It wasn't just any old something. It was the Batman. The Batman touches down just in front of the Joker and points his wrist at him. For a moment, Joker thinks that this might be the end of him. The Batman fires the device, but the projectile splits, embedding into the walls to either side of the Joker and trailing wires behind them. Before the Joker can react, Batman grabs Vale and swings off the balcony, the escape wires taking them straight through the exit. After picking his jaw up off the floor, the Joker gushes about the wonderful toys the Batman has at his disposal. He yells at his thugs to chase after the Batman and ask where he got those gadgets. My notes? Uh, the lack of response from Joker, with him kind of standing there in shock, is likely due to the fact that he doesn't really have any history with the Batman just yet. But I'm sure after rubbing elbows with him for a while, Joker will learn not to let anything surprise him when it comes to our wonderful caped crusader. His response is very Joker, though. I mean, they really are cool gadgets, so how can you blame him? Chapter 11, Scene 2 It took Vicky a moment to realize she had been rescued. Batman had put his arm around her, and a second later they were off the balcony and out into Gotham Square. He let her go as they landed and pointed to a side alley. She ran the way he pointed as he lobbed a small disc into the entranceway behind them. A second later, the foyer was filled with smoke. Batman directs her to get into the car. She starts to ask which car, but then she sees the jet-black, super-sleek sports car with customized bat hubcaps, and figures that's probably the one he's talking about. She climbs into the passenger seat of what looks like twin cockpits. Batman says, Ignition! And an array of lights and dials alight the interior. The doors seal over the two occupants, and Batman tells Vale to put on her seatbelt. Put your seatbelt on! You're breaking the law! <laughs> By the time Joker's goons pile into a van and a pair of cars to give chase, the Batmobile is already squealing down the alley. Ever the conscientious driver, Batman uses his turn signals, as he takes corners at 50 miles per hour and straight stretches at 90. They head toward another 90-degree turn. Vicky braces. Not even this car can take a turn at that speed. But a flip of a switch from Batman fires a line that embeds into a brick wall, allowing the vehicle to take the turn at speed while tethered to the anchor. Another switch, and the line drops away. 
Holy blind alley, Batman. Batman slams on the brakes, and some unseen feat of mechanics allows the Batmobile to rotate 180 degrees so that it's facing toward the mouth of the alley. Batman punches the gas, and they speed toward Gotham Square. The upcoming parade has construction crews working nights. A crane is backing into an intersection, right into the Batmobile's path. Batman tries to cut around it, but there isn't enough room. He pumps the brakes, and they stop inches from a lamppost. Vicky sees the van and the other two cars closing the distance. The Batmobile's doors open, and Batman yells for Vicky to follow him. He says the command, Shields, and steel plates turn the strange car into a black cocoon. The pair run through the construction site, then run down another street, dodging open-mouthed pedestrians. They spot one of the cars that has been following them, and the driver, seeing them also, speaks into a walkie-talkie. Batman and Vicky run the other way, dodging bullets. A little girl around five or six years old looks up from playing with her doll to ask Batman if it was Halloween. Batman smiles at the child, then motions for Vicky to follow him into yet another blind alley. Above them, five stories up, is a catwalk. Batman asks Vicky how much she weighs. She replies, 108. He cocks his head a bit to one side as if performing some quick mental calculations. He then fires something at the catwalk and grabs Vicky around the waist. They're only about halfway up when the reeling mechanism stops, unable to handle their combined weight. They are easy targets hanging there. Batman says to her, Whatever happens, don't let go. He detaches something from his belt and switches it to Vicky, and he let go. Freed of his weight, the reel yanks Vale to the catwalk. Below, the goons descend on Batman. There is a brief scuffle, then one finds a lead pipe and smashes it into the back of Batman's skull. He collapses. Feeling helpless, Vicky can only watch as the leader fires two bullets, point-blank, at the yellow emblem on Batman's chest. Let's listen to the dramatization by Rest in Peace Theater to see what happens next. Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present That Time That Joker's Goons Get Batman to Take It Off. No blood. Jesus, who is it? Check his wallet. Wait a minute. Uh, what is it? Some kind of body armor or something. He's human after all. Take the mask off. <laughs> Using the flash of her camera, Vicky distracts them and disorients them with the light. They point their guns in her direction and begin to fire. My notes. Now, while I am 100% pro-turn signal, I don't see the Batman really using them. Am I wrong? I mean, if he's worried about traffic laws, I mean, he's already doing 90 in what is probably a 25 or 35 mile per hour zone, and he's in a construction zone, so there's double or triple fines, depending on where you are. Tisk tisk. And if he's worried about other vehicles, he's certainly a skilled enough driver that he can avoid them. But what turn signals will do is also let the thugs following them know which way they're going and plan accordingly. If they're giving chase to the Batmobile up a city street and they're like, oh, Batman's signaling right. Get ready to make a right-hand turn. So I would say in the case of a high-speed chase using the Batmobile, maybe don't use your turn signal, Bruce. And that's probably the only time in my life I'll advise someone not to use the turn signal. And how many blind alleys are in Gotham City? If this version of the Batmobile had some sort of navigation system, they wouldn't have gone down the blind alley in the first place. So, good thing that the vehicle has the ability to do a 180-degree turn. 
But really, so many blind alleys. I was also a bit bemused why Batman would pump the brakes. My first thought was, what, the Batmobile doesn't have anti-lock brakes? A quick look online tells me that, quote, cadence braking or stutter braking is a driving technique that involves pumping the brake pedal and is used to allow a car to both steer and brake on a slippery surface. It is used to affect an emergency stop where traction is limited to reduce the effect of skidding from road wheels locking up under braking, end quote. I'm still a little confused. This explanation does talk about the wheels locking up, but the key element seems to be a slippery surface. There isn't talk of a slippery surface in the book. And quite a number of other sites recommend never pumping your brakes if you have anti-lock brakes, that you're supposed to just step down on the pedal and the anti-lock brakes will do all the rest. Could it be that Batman is doing a sort of balancing act of slowing down the Batmobile while still having as much maneuverability as possible? I guess that's the only explanation that makes some sense to me. But considering that they came to a stop only inches from a lamppost, I don't know. (laughs) Also, is anyone else impressed and maybe a little bit skeptical that a van and a couple of regular cars was able to stay caught up with the Batmobile? Okay, going to my next note. All right, so they exit the Batmobile and some cool shields cover it. And they run, eventually into another blind alley, might I add, while dodging bullets. While bullets are raining down around them, Batman smiles at a five-year-old child and leaves her there. Is anyone else concerned that Batman didn't do something to make sure this child, who is too young to be wandering around Gotham City alone, was safe from the rain of bullets? (sighs) I'm also a little concerned by the limited power of whatever mechanism is used to reel up Batman and Vicky. Sure, she lies about her weight, but my guess is she probably doesn't weigh any more than 130, probably less than that. So that bit of extra weight is enough to stop it from fully working. Good thing that the gadget he used in the museum didn't have similar failings, otherwise they wouldn't have even gotten out the door. Oh well. A weaker gadget is acceptable, I guess. At least Batman's not in a business where he might be rescuing people, where he might be carting around more than his own weight where the life of a civilian depends on his gizmos having a bit more oomph, and as such needs to have tools that are up to the task, right? I mean, if Batman were in that line of work, wait a minute. It was also a bit of a lucky shot that felled Batman long enough for them to actually get Batman's mask off. I mean, hello. Okay, okay, so I'm I'm nagging on some of these details a bit. Sure, there are weak points that would technically be problematic, but all in all, this actually was a really fun action scene. Chapter 11, Scene 3 The flashes stopped overhead. Did you get her? A voice asked. I think so, second voice answered. Wax him. Batman opened his eyes as the four gunmen aimed their weapons at him. His right hand snaked up to grab the coat of the nearest one, spinning him around into the gunfire of the other three. After regaining his feet, Batman hurls his corpse shield at one of the other goons, who falls backward under the weight and knocks himself out against a wall. Batman moves on to the third piece of slime. He delivers a rabbit punch to the throat and a kick to the gut. The fourth and final goon stands quaking, gun drawn, and aimed at Batman. Batman smiles. The gunman wisely screams and runs away. Batman finally pulls his mask back into place. Meanwhile, the flashes from Vicky's camera have continued to illuminate the scene below in the strobe. He'd have to do something about that. Okay, note number one. Wax him? I've never heard that phrase used as a euphemism for killing anyone. Uh, Good thing that Batman regains consciousness at this point, though. 
I'm a little shocked that Batman waited until the fight was over to pull his mask back into place. You know, keeping his identity seems to be of paramount importance to Bruce. So I feel like he would have pulled his mask back into place the moment he was on his feet, even if he had to hold up his human corpse shield with one hand. I wonder if Vicky will get a rabbit punch in the throat for taking those photos. Hmm. Chapter 11, Scene 4. It's a short one, so I'm just going to read it. The Batman had disposed of all the goons in a matter of seconds, and then he looked up at her. She retreated from the edge so that the Batman could no longer see her. He must know that she had been taking pictures, including some before he had put his mask back on, pictures that were too valuable to lose. She quickly rewound the film and unloaded the camera. But where was the safest place for the film? Her alternatives were limited. She dropped the roll inside her blouse and started to run across the roof to a door on the far side of the building. Maybe this was the wrong thing to do after the Batman had saved her life, but there was something about the Batman, something so familiar and so strange at the same time. She realized she didn't want those pictures so much for the globe as for herself. She needed to see his face. Once she developed the film, she would know the true identity of the Batman. Vicky, not cool, dude. Seriously, where's your sense of honor? And again with that, but there was something about blank. You know, either something about Bruce, something about Batman. <sighs> I should have been keeping track of how many times that phrase has been used in the book so far. I mean, of course there's something about Batman. He's a man running around in a Batman suit with an awesome car, beating up bad guys. Chapter 11, Scene 5. Vicky was gone. He could find her in a minute. For now, there were other things to worry about. He walked out of the alley and saw the Batmobile two blocks away. It was completely surrounded by police and curiosity seekers. A couple of the cops were actually crawling over the top of the car, trying to find a way in. And there was a gigantic tow truck backing down the far end of the street. The kind of truck they used to haul away tractor trailers, maneuvering to haul away the Batmobile. Silently bemoaning the fact that there are always complications, Batman accesses a miniature radio transmitter. He gives the commands, shields open, ignition. One of the cops that is atop the vehicle looks inside the cockpit and yells, There's somebody in there! The Batmobile begins to move slowly enough for people to get out of the way. Then it signals a left turn and drives out of sight. It will be a good diversion while Batman attends to other matters at hand. My notes... I can't wait to see this Batmobile in action again when Jeej and I watch the movie. Of all the Batmobiles, if I recall correctly, this one's my favorite. Just for the for the look of it, anyway. It could do with a little more of the features that newer versions of the Batmobile have, like a navigation system so he doesn't keep driving down blind alleys, which Gotham City is apparently rife with, but this, the look of it is pretty cool. And the cop saying that someone's in there... Does Batman have one of those dolls that people use so they can get away with using the carpool lane? Tisk, tisk indeed. Chapter 11, Scene 6 Sirens wailed on the street below. Vicky glanced over the ledge and saw the Batman's customized car tearing down the street, dodging a bus and two taxis, swooping around a gaggle of startled pedestrians. Well, at least Batman had gotten away. Now she had to find a way to get off the Gotham City skyline. Confronting obstacles such as a locked door, a small gap between two buildings, and needing to climb up five feet onto another roof, Vicky finally manages to find a fire escape. The street below is quiet, a contrast to the myriad police sirens, presumably giving chase to the Batmobile. 
Vicky reaches the bottom of the fire escape, only to find that it does not go all the way down to the ground, and she needs to drop the final five feet. At least she's wearing her sensible shoes. With camera bags slung over her shoulder, Vicky starts to hurry away, but runs right into Batman's chest. Not even a thank you, he asks. Defensive, she retorts that he should thank her, and that he was as good as dead. And she kind of has a point. Batman replies, You weigh a little more than a hundred and eight. Hearing sirens approaching, Vicky agrees to go with Batman. He takes her hand and leads her out to the street where the Batmobile is speeding right toward them. Batman steps in front of it and says, Stop. Vicky finds herself once again inside the Batmobile, and Batman once again says, Put your seatbelt on! A good suggestion, too, as they are doing 140. The lights and sirens fade away behind them. They have outrun them all. My notes. (laughs) I love Batman's snark in this. Not even a thank you. And then when she talks back, you weigh a little more than 108. Holy burn, Batman. Also, how is it that Batman can outrun 20 cops who have had training with uh, defensive driving, but was nearly caught by untrained goons in a van and probably a couple of Ford Escorts? Oh, well, try not to think too hard about it. Chapter 11, Scene 7. They were driving out of the city. Batman slowed the car on a deserted stretch of road bordered on both sides by tall and ancient pines. He flicked another one of the switches on his control console. Vicky suddenly found the window before her had become completely opaque. She couldn't see where they were or where they were going, which, she realized, must be precisely what Batman had in mind. This is kidnapping, she pointed out. Looks like it, Batman agreed. He flicked on a light between them, a light so bright that Vicky could no longer look at him. She blinked, trying to adjust to the brightness, then noticed that she could see out the front glass on her side again. Not that she wanted to. It looked as if they were driving straight for a sheer cliff wall. She looked back to the Batman, her eyes finally adjusting to the new illumination. She saw him smile as he hit the gas. They rushed toward the cliff face. Vicky screamed. My notes. At first I was thinking, Batman, you're driving her to the Batcave? She's already shown that she's not really trustworthy, and she'll probably remember the route. And then he did the opaquing of the glass thing, which is way cool. And the light that he shone in her eyes, that's hilarious. I always love that part. (laughs) He lets her see out the window again. So again, I was confused. And then I realized that he's enjoying her reaction. (laughs) So this is probably a bit of payback for her. (laughs) Okay, that wraps up chapter 11. Let's take our promo break. And when we come back, we'll start chapter 12. Hi, my name is Dr. Andrea Letamendi, clinical psychologist. And I'm Brian Ward, nerd. And we want to invite you to listen to our new podcast, The Arkham Sessions. It's a podcast dedicated to the fun and geeky analysis of Batman the Animated Series, episode by episode. We pay tribute to the writers and the stories of the animated series. While also exploring the very real psychology behind Gotham's rogues. And maybe even its heroes. All of this and more each week on the Arkham Sessions at underthemaskonline.com. Hey 
Hey, true crime fans, have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! Welcome back, folks. Time for Chapter 12. Chapter 12, Scene 1. The cliff wall vanished. Vicky realized it was some sort of trick. A projection, maybe. Something done with mirrors. Instead of smashing on the rocks, the car rushed into the mouth of a giant cave. Vicky looked overhead as Batman stopped the car. They were in an enormous cavern. Floodlights overhead illuminated the chamber. In places, she could see cave walls of rough-hewn stone. In others, passages twisted their way into darkness. The cavern was so vast that floodlights could really penetrate only small portions of the overall chamber, making pools of light in a sea of total dark. Vicky sees a bank of computers against a far wall. Nearby is a fully equipped machine shop. In another place is a chemistry lab. Batman tells Vicky to watch her step. She looks behind and to her right, the direction she would have stepped, to see a pit so deep that when she kicks a pebble over the edge, she doesn't hear it hit the bottom. Above, a pair of gymnast rings hang over the pit. Welcome to the Batcave, Batman says. Vicky shivers when she realizes the high shrieking cries overhead are innumerable bats. They're terrifying, she says. Batman says, that's the idea. He walks over to a birdcage that holds a small bat with a broken wing, wrapped in bandage and a splint. Bats are great survivors, he explains. Vicky approaches a clothes rack full of hanging bat costumes. Quote, she strolled over to take a look. The fabric felt odd between her fingers. It was like no clothing she'd ever seen, an odd combination of natural fibers and something that stretched like rubber. But more than that, too. As thin as the fabric was, it had density and weight, as if the center of the cloth was woven steel, unquote. Vicky asks what they're made of, but Batman says the fabric doesn't have a name. Vicky then addresses the bat in the room. What are you going to do with me? Keeping himself in the shadows, he replies that she is going to do something for him. As he talks, Vicky notices deodorant, cosmetics, shampoos, all the sorts of products that are rumored to be tainted by the Joker's toxin. You know what? This is a long scene. I think we can fit in an encore presentation of Rest in Peace Theater. Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present That Time Batman Gives a Chemistry Lesson. The police have got it all wrong. They're looking for one product. It's much bigger than that. The Joker's tainted hundreds of basic chemicals at the source. But then whole shipments of every product would be poisoned. We'd all be dead. No. Each product only contains one component. 
The poison only works when they're mixed. Hairspray won't do it alone. But hairspray and perfume and lipstick will be toxic. And untraceable. How did you figure that out? Take this to the press. I may have some trouble with that. A lot of people think you and the Joker work together. Do me a favor. Don't flatter my enemy. The man's psychotic. Some people say the same about you. What people? Well, let's face it. You're not exactly normal, are you? It's not a normal world. Why did you bring me here? People need that information. But you could have just sent it. You're right. I could have. There is something else. What? You have something I want. What could I have that you want? Batman, who has been coming and going in the shadows as he speaks, disorienting Vicky, swirls his cape over her and gives her a blast of knockout gas. She passes out to the sound of bat wings. My notes. Now, I know Batman doesn't get a lot of visitors to the Batcave, but some safety railing might not go amiss. And speaking of safety, why does he have the genus rings right over the bottomless pit? I mean, I know he has to keep himself in top shape, but he could do that with a five-foot drop over some mats. I mean, dude, what if he has a bad day? What if he pushes himself too hard after recovering from the flu? What if Alfred sneezes at the wrong time and startles him? I find it very cute that Batman is nursing a bat back to health. I'm kind of imagining him knocking insects out of the air with his battering and feeding the bat. <laughs> Next point. Uh, one does not store one's Batman costume on a clothes rack. It goes in a super deluxe chamber. Everyone knows that. And as for what the material is made of, no name? I mean, come on. Batman names everything. It's got batterings and the Batmobile and the Batcave. So maybe bat cotton? Or bat satin? <laughs> Batten? <laughs> there we go. The costumes are all made of batten. It's canon now. You're welcome, DC. I love the interaction between Batman and Vicky here. Vicky is clearly terrified, but she's keeping her head as best she can. And Batman is acting in a way that's almost vampire-like in nature, and I love it. I suppose Batman did need to bring Vicky here so uh, she could see the, the computers and the, the chemistry lab to show her that he really does know what he's talking about when it comes to the Joker's toxin. He needs to get her to believe him utterly so that she can take the information to the public in a convincing way. Knockout gas would be handy to have, though, wouldn't it? If you've got someone sitting next to you on a bus and they just won't shut up, don't lie, you know you'd be tempted. Chapter 12, Scene 2 She opened her eyes. Sunlight streamed through the windows. She was in her own apartment, in her own bed. What was she doing here? Batman? The Joker? The Batcave? Had it all been some sort of dream? She pulled off the sheet and saw she was still wearing the clothes from the day before. So it was all real. Batman must have brought her here. But there was something else, something she had hidden, something she didn't want him to find. She sat up and searched inside her blouse. It was gone. The film, she said with a vehemence that almost made the words a curse. He took the film. The phone rings and Vicky deals with a little wooziness when she moves to pick up the receiver. It's Allie Knox, who sounds concerned and asks if she wants him to come over. She says no, but when she realizes that Batman has left the envelope with the evidence of Joker's toxin with her, she hurriedly asks Knox 
if she can still make the evening edition if she brings something over. Just barely, Knox replies. Is it hot? Oh yeah, it's hot. I mean, not the best of hiding places for a roll of film, Vicky, but I guess hiding spots were limited. Personally, I would have hidden it somewhere on the buildings she was running across and then come back for it later. Not that that would have stopped Batman, but it might have at least slowed him down a little bit. But I was totally rooting for Batman to get the film back. Okay, so that is it for chapter 11 and chapter 12. So for episode 6, we will cover chapter 13, 14, and 15. Thank you again for listening to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose. I've been your host, Lane. Remember, you can send comments and questions to darknightprose at gmail.com, and that's night with a K, or Twitter at batmanbooks underscore DKP. Until next time, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger.